Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 17. We're going to be finishing out the chapter this morning. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 17. As you get your place there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this point in our service where we open your word, we pray, Lord, that you would minister to us, that you would speak to us, Lord. Lord, as we sing praises unto you, that's when we talk to you. When we pray with you, Lord, that's when we commune with you. But Lord, when your word is opened, that's when you speak to us. Lord, I ask that you would use me this morning. Take those burdens of ministry life out of my mind. Take the hardships and difficulties that this world presents out of my mind. I pray, Lord, that I will be a vessel for you this morning. So I ask, Lord, that you would give me strength in my weakness. You give me clarity. I pray that each and every word that is shared this morning would be for your good and for your glory, and Lord, ultimately for our benefit. Lord, help me not to say the things that shouldn't be said. Lord, the people want to hear from you this morning. They don't want to hear from me. I don't want to hear from me. So I pray that your word would have the preeminence this morning. I thank you for the privilege of being a preacher of your word. But I pray that each and every one of us, me included, would hear what you have to say, Lord. And to take it and apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know how many, uh, I know some of your work, the jobs that you do. And we live in a society where there's a lot of uh, jobs that really don't involve getting too dirty. They don't involve getting your hands dirty. We, you know, machines do a lot of it. A lot of people here will, will probably have an office job or worked in an office job. But not everybody. Some people would have worked jobs that required uh, a lot of physical work. Um, when we were in Spalding in Lincolnshire, a lot of the older people there um, worked the fields when they were younger. And they were fit as fiddles because of it in their, in their, in their, in their later years. But they would work the fields, which was a very physical job, a uh, very hands-on and, and a dirty job. Uh, Paul, he's up the stairs, he's a mechanic. If you, if you go to Paul's garage, when he first comes in in the morning... He'll be looking nice and clean and ready to go. And if he's had a few cars in, you get him at the end of the day and he's oiled up, mucked up. It's a, it's a dirty old job. Um, when I was a, a network engineer um, back in Northern Ireland and I was kind of learning my trade, we used to go around Northern Ireland, all, the, all, all around the place really, and uh, visit different um, uh, kind of workplaces and environments. Some were clean, 
Some were offices, so we'd go in and do the wiring in the offices. Some not so clean. We used to work in quarries and that. But the, the one place which was the worst place. So when the jobs were getting divvied out at the, on a Monday morning about you know what teams were going where and what jobs you'd have for the week, there was one that you didn't want on your work calendar. Because it was a... I can't actually remember the name of the place, but I can remember the smell of the place. Because it was a, a factory um, that was um, primarily they did uh, farm uh, food stuff, not for the animals, but for the ground and stuff like that, and a lot of protein stuff. All right, and what? So what? If if you know what I'm talking about here, you'll you'll know. So this place was literally a a place where the farmers would bring their dead animals, the ones they couldn't sell, on the back of their. Uh, trailers as farmers do and just hoy them in this big uh, tarmac tarmac space and then what would happen is a kind of forklift for the improvised little shovel in the front would come along and uh, any, any animal rights people in here <laughs> this, this is not going to get any better the, the forklift would come along and gently no, the, the, the dead animals were just pushed into what effectively was a massive uh, industrial grinder right so and then i don't i could really get effective with the graphic i don't want to do it anyway so you, you know what happens so they go in and they're, they're they're grinded down and then they're passed through the factory you get further into the factory and you have these big uh vats where really everything's boiled down that's what they do they just boil it down heat it up boil it down and it comes goes through the factory and then it gets put into little pellets and stuff and it, you know, it's good for the land or they'll maybe feed it back to some of the animals or whatever. Anyway, so it's a big protein and farm foods plant. Now, the smell of this place was disgusting. It's the worst smell. This is the only way I can describe it and it's worse than this. Rotten chicken. Do you know the smell of rotten chicken? If it's been left and you open the thing that you've stored it in, right? It's just it's just, just our house, but this will happen sometimes, right? <laughs> in the back of the fridge, there's the chicken that was forgot about. You open it, disgusting. It's 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 dead flesh, disgusting. It's that smell on another level, right? It's on another level, and it's factory wide. It's factory wide. So you would drive up to it, and as soon as you drive in, there'd be this wall of smell. Absolutely disgusting. So if you got this job, you were raging because you had to go to this place. But the thing was, because it, because of what it did, everywhere was disgusting. So in the in the area where these big vats were, and I used to, we used to go and have to run cables across these factories, and there was like layers of uh, oily, goopy stuff everywhere, and it would get on your clothes. It, it was disgusting. When we used to drive the van in, because a big, big, big factory, different uh, warehouses and stuff. When you would drive the van in, it was like, oh, I don't want to get out of the van. I'd get the air circulation thing on, close those vents. Don't want to get out of the van. As soon as you open the door, the smell would take you back. It would make you gag. Honestly, it would make you gag. What we used to do was the little spongy ear plugs that you get, we used to stick them up our noses and go out and try and do this work. Now, you had to get, you had to get on with the work and you're in the midst of the stink and the smell. And what happened was that your overalls, your work clothes, just 
got covered in this stuff. So when you left the factory and went back to normality, you carried this stink and this stench and this smell with you. You couldn't get it off. And the first thing that any of us would do would get rid of these overalls, throw them in the back, get home, get showered, to just get that muck and that dirt and that smell off. It was disgusting. And if you've worked in any type of environment like that, you know that one of the greatest things is the feeling of when you get clean. And you get that stench off, and you get that smell off, and you get that muck off, and you start to clean yourself up, and you start to feel a little bit better, and feel a little bit uh, normal. And the Apostle Paul, as he writes this portion of Ephesians, is basically taking what I've said to you, and he's saying that to the readers, and he's saying that, that you have an old set of clothes, there's an old way of life that you were part of, but now you're something new. And the the stench from the old needs to go. That actually is saying you're you're something new in Christ and you wanna you wanna walk in that newness. You don't wanna be part of the old anymore. It's done, it's dirty, it's disgusting. And now Christ has taken you out of that and he's cleaned you up and he's now setting you in a path where you can walk in him and get cleaner and cleaner as you walk towards him as the day approaches, the day that you will be perfectly clean. But for now, he's taken you out of that, taking all those dirty overalls off, and putting, giving you new clothes, his clothes, his righteousness. And he said, walk in it. Look at, look at verse 17 of Ephesians 4. We're going to see this contrast between the old and the new, the way the unbeliever walks and way, the way the believer should walk. That our character should be seen as attractive to the world, sweet, attractive, not disgusting and stench-filled and sin. He says this in verse 17, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness or hardness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness, this immoral lifestyle, to work all uncleanness with greediness. So Paul begins this by saying, and he, he takes us to what the old was, that you know, all of us that have come to the Lord Jesus Christ were once without him. And we walked in the darkness of our own minds. And so here Paul is pointing to the lost, he's pointing to the unbeliever, and he's walking, in, walking the reader down the same path that he walks the Roman, um, the Roman uh, epistle, and he walks the reader down the same path there. If you turn to Romans chapter number 1 and verse 21, I want you to see the similarities, but it's, it's the same principle. It's, it's, it's the darkened mind loves darkness. Romans 1, 21. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. This is the path of the lost. This is the path of, of humanity, really, outside of God. And Paul walks them down this in Romans as he begins this great discourse on the truth of the gospel, who we are, who God is, and what the gospel is, and what sin is, etc., 
It's this pathway that as we ignore God, we fall further and further into our own darkened, hardened hearts, and it leads to a path of destruction. So Paul, as he begins in Ephesians 4, um, 17, and he, he starts us there. He starts with the lost. And then there's this little contrast. And look at verse 20 of Ephesians 4. There's a but in there. Ephesians 4, 20 says, But you've not so learned Christ, that if you've heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. So it's a, a contrast. What's the contrast? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And again, there's three things in there that Paul points out. He says, you've learned him. You've learned Christ. You've heard him. And have been taught by him. Learned, heard, and taught all by Christ. Notice he doesn't say the apostles. He says Christ. He's bringing us back to the centrality of Jesus in the believer's life. This is Romans 11, 36, where Paul says, Of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. The truth is in Christ. So what Paul is doing before he's going to move us on to the things that we put off and the things that we should put on, he highlights to us, this is what you were, but... You now have Christ. And because of who you are in Christ, this is the call. This is the call. Put off the old, put on the new. Not so we can earn favour with God, but simply because of who we are in Christ Jesus. So everything is grounded in him. Everything is in him. And Paul is going to bring us through this. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Simply this. What we're to put off and what we're to put on. Verse 22, Ephesians 4. Here Paul says that you put off concerning the former conversation old language for manner of life, way of life. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So Paul says here, he exhorts us to put off this old. The word means stop, lay aside. If I could be Paul for a minute, it would be simply this. Stop it. Stop it. It's not who you are. What are some of the things that we're to stop or to put off? Look at verse uh, 25 there. Here's the first thing we're to put off. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So the first thing that we're to uh, put off there is lying. Now, in the Greek, it's interesting. In the Greek construction, the, the sentence there really kind of, when you get into the Greek, reads, put off the lie. So we're rendering it as lying, and there's application there, but it's, it's, it's more depth than that. Put off the lie. Because remember that our enemy, Satan, is what? The father of lies. 
So it's interesting that this is addressed first in this contrast between who you were and who you are in Christ. And Paul says, put off the lie. Now this is a contrast with what? The truth of verse 21. The truth in Christ, the singular, put off the lie. But as we take the application of of lying and what that means, I mean, here's the thing. Um, Well, here's the question. How are we getting on with that, church? How are we getting on with it? How are we getting on with putting off lying? Any liars in here? Good, good. Elders, first man to put his hand up. We're all liars. Are we to be liars? No. We're to stop it. And of course, you know, you can go down the path of defining what lying is. We're going to have a look at stealing and we're going to define what that is. But, but, but lying, we, we, often we think about it as like boldface, just lies. When you're asked a question and you, you, you don't answer it correctly and you give a lie. But what about this for lying? Just as an example. What about posturing? You ever heard of posturing? Do you know what posturing is? Posturing is presenting yourself as something you're not. So when you're in a conversation or you're in a place and people are talking about stuff, you want to put your knowledge in there to present yourself as knowledgeable when maybe you're not in that subject. Or you're in work and you want to present yourself as something. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's posturing. We, do, we all do this. All do this. All the time. Especially in church. Why especially in church? Why do you think there's a lot of posture and happens from pastors, from those in the pews, when we come to church and we come together? Because we're afraid to show people who we really are at times. Because actually, the true us isn't what we want people to see. So when we come to church and we present something else, what are we doing there? We're lying. We haven't said anything oftentimes, but we've postured. We've postured. And we all do it. Because we're guilty in churches of, of, of buying the lie that if we are a Christian, everything is rosy out there. It's not. That if we are a Christian, everything's rosy in here. It's not always. The truth is, it will be. But in the here and now, there are days when we're not what we should be. There are days that we don't think as we should think. And when we come and we pretend to everybody else that we've got it all together and actually we're not in the place that we're actually in, we're posturing, what are we doing? We're lying. We've fallen for the the lie that has been presented right from the garden and in the beginning. I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's okay to not be okay. That doesn't change our love for the Lord or his love for us. It's a different story. (coughs) Paul says again in Colossians the same thing. Lie not to one another, seeing you've put off the old man with his deeds. One commentator says that there's three types of lies. There's a lie told. There's a lie taught. 
and then there's a lie acted out. And I think that covers a lot of it. Posturing's a lie acted out. But there's a lie taught, and there's a lie told, and there's a lie acted out. Here's what the Bible says about this. doesn't matter what category. Stop it. It's not part of who you are. It's not part of who you are. It's part of the old. It's not part of, part of the new. In Christ, there should be no embarrassment, no place where you're not able to be who you truly are and to tell people about that and not be afraid of the judgment that may come. The new is so different than the old. That system of judgment, that system where you can't be yourself, that's the old. Paul says, stop it. Then verse 26, have a look there. What else are we to stop? Ephesians 4, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down <coughs> upon your wrath. So this is dealing with really kind of this anger that is, that is wrong. And there's a right and wrong anger. I want you to understand that. See, we have to be balanced. We have to be true in everything that we do. That we're to stop lying completely. There's no caveats for that. But anger is broken down into righteous or right anger and wrong anger. And it's okay to be angry. What does the Bible say? Be ye angry and what? Sin not. So that tells me that there's an anger that's not sinful. Which is fine. Because anger is part of our God-given emotion. In the right context. Every emotion we have is given from God. You understand that? You're made in the image of God. That's what sets us apart from the animals. God has given us these things. And in the right context, they work well. But when we misuse them or other people take advantage of them, that's wrong. Anger is no different. In the, in the Greek, there's three, possibly four, if you want to get into it, to it um, kind of types of anger. There's thumos anger, which is uh, like temper and rage that's boiling over. You know, that's like a match being struck and off it goes. This is, this is you know, you, you, some people are very placid in their anger, that it's slow, slow burning. Others are not. I'm not a slow burner. I'm a, I, honestly, I can't help myself. It's terrible. And the Lord's working with me in that, and he's, and, he's, he's, and he's changed me. Still have my moments, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I was a road rage guy, honestly. Um, but the Lord's taken us away as I grow in him. But that's the type of anger that's, that's, that's boiling over. It flares up, it boils over. Um, then there's orge anger. Uh, this, is, this is the type of anger where we're distressed because we've been unfairly treated or, or violated, that type of feeling. Um, Vine says that this type of anger is less sudden in its rise, but more lasting in its nature. So thumos anger. And then there's the calm down. This anger is a little bit more lasting. Not as, not as uh, doesn't boil over, it simmers, if you like. And then there's a third type of anger, parasigimus anger. And it's said that while thumos is this all-encompassing body rage, uh, periagimus is more about irritation and exasperation. It's interesting that 
we're going to get to this a little bit later on Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 4, where it says, Your fathers provoke not your children to wrath. This is the word for anger that's used and actually says that parents are usually the cause of irritation uh, for their children. And if you're a parent, then that's probably, probably you can relate to that. And, and, you know, we've all been a child at points. And we could say our parents have brought us to this type of anger. It's this type of anger that Paul points to in verse 26 where he says, let not the sun go down in your, in your wrath. This irritation, um, you know, this, this type of anger, he's saying, don't go to sleep in it. Deal with it, give it over, whatever it may be. Because if you don't do this, look at what verse 27 says. Neither give place to the devil. So he ties this in. He says, don't be angry and, and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. This parasimus type of irritation. Don't just fester on it. Get it dealt with. Because if you do, you're going to give the devil a foothold. Why? Because the devil's going to take that type of anger and turn it into something else. It's a foothold. What is a foothold? It's a starting point. For something else. So Paul says, get rid of it. Do away with it. What else? Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. So again, you know, or sorry, verse 28. Let's look at verse 28. We've skipped ahead a little bit. Verse 28, stealing, let's deal with that. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor with the working of his hands. So the instructions is don't steal. Again, what's the definition of that? Is it simply, you know, just going in and getting into a, uh, the co-op and nicking all their tea bags, which I hope none of us are guilty of? Are you? No. Are you sure? Get the deacons to search your pockets. They're like some fucking very shady. Hopefully none of you have done that type of stealing. But that doesn't mean you're not a thief. Doesn't mean you're not a thief. Here's a definition um, from one of the modern dictionaries for stealing. To take something without permission or knowledge of the owner and keep it. And the reality is that when we get into the depth of this, we're all stolen stuff and maybe still stealing stuff. Usually the, the biggest culprit for this would be your workplace. Because the reality is, if you take an extra 15 minutes on your lunch break, you're stealing from your employer. Something that's not yours, you're taking it without permission or knowledge of the owner. Pens. There's some pen thieves about, I know there is. College church pens have gone missing, and I don't believe anybody actually asked for them, but they're gone. So th- the instruction is, you know, let's, let's think about the depth of this. And actually, let's not just leave it to those that are in prison for their theft, but think about some of the smaller things and actually do better. Stop it. That your employer will say of you, do you know what, they stand out. Because every employer knows people take advantage. I mean, they're not daft. But what of the testimony of the, if you're the person that never does that? So Paul's talking about, and he says, verse 29, as I said, 
Don't let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. This is speaking wrong. This is evil speaking. He goes on in verse 31, says the same thing. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. And, you know, we did James on, on uh, Wednesday nights, didn't we? And I don't need to say any more about this. The words hurt, don't they? You know, it's like sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie that is. Is that, well, it's a half lie. Sticks and stones do hurt. But words? Oh. They can get right to the very core. Things said in arguments. Things said behind closed doors. Behind people's backs. On and on it goes. These words do damage. We're guilty of this, all of us. But here's the reality. The Bible says stop it. Stop it. Now, I've got to be honest. This one's the hard one. They're all hard. But this one's the challenging one. Because words come out easy. It's easy to say something, isn't it? We live in a world where it's just toxic. You know, if you're in social media or that environment, it's toxic. Toxic. We live in a, in a world where people are, are um, committing suicide because of the words that people have said to them over the internet. Now, the world behaves in that way. We shouldn't expect that unless. But when the church behaves in that way, we're not putting off the old. We're embracing the lie. Embracing the lie. So we're to put off the old. What does that mean by contrast? It means we're to put on the new. What are we to put on? Look at verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So here we're told, put off the old, put off lying, speak truth. And notice how it's connected to community. Speak truth with his neighbour for your members one of another. So here Paul is focusing in upon the church. Saying speak truth. Why why is is he writing this? Because obviously it's an issue. Of course it's an issue. Because human nature is to swallow the lie and propagate it whenever we do. And Paul's writing the things that they're dealing with. When he's talking about stealing. In the ancient pagan world, the heathen world, stealing wasn't as frowned upon as it is today. So a lot of them had vices in this. Paul's addressing it. So he's saying, don't don't speak lying, speak truth. Why? Members one of another. You're a connected body and you're going to damage each other. And actually, uh, lies can start off with a little segment of the church. It can start off between uh, a group of a couple of people. And if it's not addressed and not spoken to, it will spread and it will spread and it will destroy. And Paul points us in to this community group together to say, look after each other, put on the new, speak truth to each other. Stop lying. Now this truth, I want to I say this as well while we're here. 
This truth is caveated. It is not truth at the expense of saying something difficult. Truth is truth. And sometimes we have to have conversations in the right way, the biblical way, one-to-one, not through proxies, and speak the truth. Even if that truth hurts, it's the best thing that you can share with somebody. Paul says, I've become your enemy because I tell you the truth. In verse 15 of Ephesians 4, he said, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. Now Jesus modeled this. Because he told people truth. Whether they wanted to hear it or not, he told them. He didn't water it down. He was very clear to them. The people, the disciples that followed him, when he spoke truth, he spoke truth. When Peter cries out, you're not going to be, nobody's going to harm you, you're not going to die. What does is, what is, um, Jesus say to him? Get behind him, Satan. He rebukes him. You know what you're saying? The truth had to be spoken. When Jesus met with Peter, John 21, we did it not so long ago. He had to speak truth to him to help him see. So truth is not, well, we can't say things that are hard to say. No, we have to say those things. That's part of truth. That's part of being in the new man. How do we speak the truth in love? Five quick uh, little thoughts, and I mean quick little thoughts, as, as you approach this. Number one, you need to be in prayer about this. You need to be biblical about this. Approach the individual and speak to them one-to-one. That's the biblical way. And if that doesn't uh, have an effect or it's not received well, then there's an escalation process given in the Bible. So we've got to crouch it in prayer. But number one, listen before you speak. Whenever you meet with somebody and you get something that they need to hear and you know it's going to be difficult, but they need to hear it, first thing you've got to do is when you engage in the conversation is you listen before you speak. Number two, check yourself. Make sure that this isn't the hidden motive to get one over on that person. Make sure that you're not coming into this with some secret agenda that's hidden in your heart about making yourself feel better in this whole process. So look at your hidden motivations. You know, are you speaking to set somebody straight or are you going to tell them truth because you love them? (coughs) Number three, watch your words. Keep it simple, speak with kindness. Because if you say the wrong thing, it's often very hard to take that back. Number four, as I've said, pray before, during, and after the conversation. And ultimately, number five, trust in God. That this is, if this is God-led, that it's a biblical thing, and you've done it in a biblical way, trust God in the process. That even though it may be hard and it may hurt that person, that ultimately it will restore them, build them, and maybe even prevent them from greater destruction along the line. You've got to trust God in the process. Speaking the truth in love may be difficult, may seem costly in the short run, but it's a, an investment in that person. In the mid to long term, trust in God, and if they respond to God, they'll grow in him.
What else are we to put off? Verse 28, Ephesians 4. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working his hands, that thing which is good. So here's the, the thing that we're to do. We're to be good workers. We're to be good citizens. We're to have a good testimony that wherever we do, we do it unto the Lord, not unto men. That's the new you. <clears throat> if you're the employee that gets in the huddle of discontentment, because that's what employees like to do. No matter what level you're at, you find your little peer group where you're not happy with what's above you. Then you move to the next level and you're not happy with those below you, but you're not happy with what's above you. And on and on it goes. You're to avoid this. You're to give honest labor. To give a testimony to show who you are. It's to show your master. That's the name you represent. So you're to be a good citizen. You're to labor well, working with the hands, that thing which is good. What else? Verse 29, you're to speak well. So this is the corrupt communication that proceeds out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up. This is what our words are to be. Now, this is the biggie, isn't it? Because I've talked about this. It's the biggie. When you turn to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. These six things does the Lord hate. Seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, he that soweth the cord among the brethren. I would encapsulate this all in the lie. And it's interesting how uh, much the mouth is involved in some of these things. I think it's half of them are involved in your mouth. Lies, soweth discord. And there are Christians that are like that, that just use their words to hurt. And they cause terrible damage. There was a, a gentleman, one of my deacons in, in Spald, and he's gone to be with the Lord now. But he used to say to me that uh, he would say to people like that when they would come along and they would just be hurtful, not about building people up, not about speaking the truth in love, but just bringing people down to make them feel better. And he would go along and say to them that with a real uh, movement of the Lord, they could have a real ministry of discouragement. And there are Christians like that that walk around with a ministry of discouragement. That's not the new. That's the old. That's the lie. Guess what? The Lord hates that. He hates it. He hates it. So we're to put on the new. And then we get to verse 32 as we start to wrap this section up. Notice what it says. This is what we're to put on. Be kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So here Paul brings us to the point, and he brings us into Christ again. And he says, be kind. Now in the Greek, that's Christos. And then he brings Christ, but in the Greek is Christos. So there's wordplay here. Kindness in Christ. Christos, Christos. Kindness, 
Christ. That we're in him, and this is what we're to be. We're to be kind. We're to be compassionate. We're to be tender-hearted. What else? We're to be forgiven. Why are we to be forgiving? Because we've been forgiven. Oh, I can't forgive that person. I'm glad Christ didn't say that about your sin. Now, does that mean we trust everybody? No. Forgiveness and trust, there's a difference. Does that mean that we can't be bold when, you know, false teachers and wolves come in and I'm, as a pastor, I'm just to say, oh, just come and have a seat and teach what you want. No, it's a different context. Paul's writing to the church body here. So I want you to look at the person beside you. Actually, look at the person behind you. Do it for me now, please. Because those, those people, you may have looked around. Let's be honest. You may have looked around. And you may not particularly like the person that you've seen. Me too. Me too. Me too. But that, here's the reality. We're all different personalities. We may rub each other the wrong, wrong way. Paul says, put on the new and be kind one to another. Love one another. Forgive one another. Why? Because you're forgiven. You're loved by the one who is kind above and beyond our measure. That's who we're to be in Christ Jesus. Now that's a challenge, church. Don't get me wrong. But it's it. Let me leave you with our application. Here's the application for all this. How are we to do this? Number one, you've got to see who you are. You've got to see what you're wearing. Because we all have blind spots. It's like the story of the emperor in his new clothes. Sometimes we cannot see. Oftentimes we cannot see the things that other people see. So how do we walk in the new? How do we reject the old? Simply this. If you want to know what you truly look like, spend time in the mirror of God's word. If you want to know what you truly look like, spend time in the mirror of God's word. Why? Because it'll change you. It'll shape you. It'll mold you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Hebrews 4.11. And we know these verses, but I want to put these verses, the verse that we're going to get to, I want to surround it in some context. Hebrews 4.11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. What is that rest? It's the Sabbath life in Christ. It's the new. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief, for the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow, discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What am I saying to you this morning, church? If you want to see who you are, let God's word show you who you are. Because he sees it. You can posture all you want. You can pretend all you want around us. But God knows who you are. And God will show you who you are. 
if you surrender to him and walk in his word. You see, when we come to Christ, there should be a glorious change that takes place. The liar becomes the truth teller. The angry becomes the calm. The stealer becomes the giver. The slanderer becomes the encourager. The cruel becomes the kind. The unforgiving becomes the forgiving. Old clothes, new clothes. Let me take you back to my illustration at the start. That place where I worked that would contaminate my clothing. And I would get home from work and throw them in the dirty bin and get in the shower. And then I would expect them to be washed so that I could wear them again. And Paul is telling us that your old clothes are, are taken off. That you've been given new clean clothes. But you have to actively put these on. And it's your choice. And how you do that. Do you put on the old or do you put on the new? Do I, as a man that had my overalls dirty in a, in a basket and have a new set waiting for me that's clean, ready to go to work the next day, do I pick up the old, dirty, disgusting, stinking ones and put them on and go into work? No, I don't. It's madness. I get sent home, not fit for the job. But as a Christian, As somebody that's in Christ. Here's your choice. Are you putting on the old clothes every day? Oh, Sunday I've got my Sunday best on. And Sunday I've got the new clean clothes on. And Sunday I'm Christ-like. But then Monday I take the old clothes out of the dirty bin. And I put them on. And I walk in the world stinking in my sin. All the time crying the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who died on Calvary's cross. You might have new clothes. It's an affront to his name. It's a shame to his name. Now we wouldn't do that in life. If we had the choice between new clean clothes or dirty stinking clothes. But in the spiritual walk and the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. We have an army out there that is running about in their old clothes that are fit for nothing that can do nothing in the kingdom of God see folks a glorious change took place in the day you came to the Lord Jesus Christ and were born again I pray that each and every one of us as we go into this week would think about the clothes that we're wearing and who we're representing And make every effort in the spirit of God. Led by the word of God. To put on the new. And not put on the old.